there is a bone in Gilead to make the wounded For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account? But you do see... For you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desires of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and to the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Psalm 10 in the ESV. Well, hello and welcome to another Balm in Gilead podcast. An exciting episode. Exciting episode. I need to put some more modifiers on there or something, right? Yes. How are you, Brian? I'm doing well. Um, I am not sick anymore. Uh, Hooray! Last week, I I could barely I could barely get out of bed on Monday. It was it was pretty bad. Um, but I am doing 
a lot better now. Uh, yeah. Glad to hear that. I'm I'm glad to hear that the uh, black plague of um, projectile vomiting has passed over your your house and um, that you are now back with us in perfect health. Yes, though I do blame most of the projectile vomiting on the uh, cigar that I tried to smoke. <sighs> Brian, just because Spurgeon did it doesn't mean you have to. Yeah, and I mean I, I smoke a pipe pretty often. And I've smoked cigars before in the past, but it just, I don't know, something was up. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you're back. Uh, I hope you all do not have the coronavirus and are washing your hands repeatedly. And spreading uh, Chick-fil-A sauce on the doorpost or (laughs) rental of your house. (laughs) Yeah, that was the Babylon Bee article this week. That probably made me laugh the hardest. Yes. Uh, I have plenty of Chick-fil-A sauce. (laughs) I have no doubts. Um, So I'm sure that your house is well covered. Well covered. Um, Excellent. Um, Did you have the sacrificial chicken uh, that lived in your house with you uh, for a period of time? No. Uh, One year unblemished? No? No, we did not. Okay, well... Well, we're still working on that. But um, anyway, it is great to be here with you and with you, listener. Uh, we have a great show picked out for you today. Um, and what are we gonna what are we gonna talk about today? All right. Well, today uh, we've got a, a few things. Our icebreaker is going to be uh, a look at the ten most streamed songs in the uh, CCM kind of genre from Spotify for the year 2019. And then on our main topic, we are going to talk about Jesus. Okay. Uh, Always a good topic. Always a good topic. Um, Uh, (laughs) And uh, so this week, uh, just not in the podcast, but in this, this week in general, something is coming up on Tuesday that we have actually mentioned in a previous episode of this podcast. And that is that Colony House is coming to St. Louis. What? And I'm not going. That's awesome. Oh. Yeah. Womp, womp. Womp, No, but I'm not going for good reason. Uh, this oh, this okay. tu- This Tuesday night is going to be the final night um, of this event. Uh, it's an eight-week-long event that my, my family and I have been going to called uh, Annie's Hope. Mm-hmm. And it has been a... Um, it's been a family-centered uh, grief support group, uh, specifically tailored to um, to help kids transition in their grief. Um, it's it's been wonderful for our kids. Uh, all of the kids kind of break up into like age groups and go to um, their their kind of room facilitators are they're people that are mostly uh, most of them are in school learning to to be child psychologists and things like that. And all of them have experienced grief and loss in their own Mm. lives. And so, um, and then in in our group, um, everyone in our group has lost a child. You don't have to have lost Mm. a child to be, um, to go to this. You could, you just have to at least have a child living in your house and then have lost someone. But yeah, it's been, it's been really good. It's been really good. Um, experience for for us and and i just want to give a huge thank you to annie's hope uh for the work that they do it is uh, their nonprofit, and this is completely free 
they take donations, but it's been, um, it's just, it's an amazing service that these, that these people are, are doing, um, helping families. A lot of them are low income families and, uh, just helping them through grief and giving them therapy and support that they wouldn't otherwise have. So that's awesome. We actually, are they, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, we, we actually gave our children um, the option. We said, do you want to go to the last night of Annie's Hope or do you want to go to the Colony House concert? And they said, Colony House will come back to St. Louis again, but this will mm. be the last time to do Annie's Hope. So yeah. we'll catch them next time. Um. All right. Well, is that just in uh, St. Louis then or is I, that? Uh... I think it is. I think it's a St. Louis local, but I could be wrong. Yeah, well, we'll definitely uh, provide a link there for uh, people um, to check out and check out their ministry there and uh, all the great things that they're doing. Um, drop it, those in the show notes. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm I'm very happy to hear that. I, I mean, that's – I can't imagine what you and um, your whole family have just been through during this time. Um, and knowing that there's some, some people out there like that, that's yeah. – uh, are are both equipped and ready to help like that is is awesome so yeah yeah good to hear good to hear so for our icebreaker today i thought we could take a look at a, a recent list that came out brian and uh it was where uh spotify came out and said these are the top 10 christian songs for the past year right right so the uh, let me see, Isn't it January that... twenty nineteen to twenty twenty, yeah, yeah, and this is just purely Spotify streaming, correct? Uh yes, the top ten most streamed Christian songs, right? Um, so, so this... uh, all it takes is somebody to label themselves as a Christian, and or at least four people on Spotify. It or takes at least, at least at least four people have to have to call themselves Christian to make it on this list. Yes, there are four. And are they the top four that provide worship music to most everybody every church in the world? Um sixty percent. Sixty percent. Well, that's pretty good. Um <laughs> or but and by, by this whatever. what I mean is of the top ten songs, six of them would be considered by most people on the outside looking in to be church songs, like type one songs. Four of them are, are type two songs. Six of them are type one songs of the six type one songs. They come from three unique artists and all of the type mm. two songs come from the same unique artists. And I think I said that wrong. I think it's seven. So cause Lauren Daigle only has three songs, not four songs on here. Sorry. Yes, that's so, true. So 70%. Here okay. We go. That's quite a few. It is quite I mean, a few. It's, they have like a, you could say, a quadopoly. Yes. On the Christian music industry. Yes. Um, absolutely. Uh, and something that's very interesting, this number one song, uh, which is... Yeah, what would you say it is? What would you say? What would you say? You would say it was You Say by Lauren Daigle, which uh, is currently the number one song of all time on the billboard hot christian songs chart it beat out oceans last year um, and it has had 73 straight weeks in the number one slot 
uh, on Billboard's Hot Christian Songs chart. That's uh, digital purchases, physical purchases, digital streams. Um, just uh, that's that's kind of how that bill that chart is determined. And so it is the number one song of all time, according to uh, Billboard Hot Christian Songs chart. You say by Lauren, <laughs> by Lauren Daigle. That is wild. It is wild. Um, I would say it is better than Oceans, which is the number two song of all time. Mm. And Oceans okay. was in the number one position for almost half a decade. I mean, it was it was on there for for quite a while uh, before you say took it over. So number one on the top ten Christian songs streamed on Spotify in 2019 is You Say by Lauren Daigle. Also. Uh, this is real in, uh, podcast follow-up. Uh, she is at 86 weeks now. 86 weeks. Mm-hmm. 86 yes. weeks. So she is destroying, is she still in the number one slot? Is that, I guess still... so. I mean, all I can see is number one, number two, and number three. Uh, and then the rest is for billboard pros, which I am not a member but um, it weird. says you say is number one. Holy water by we, the kingdom is number two. Okay. And uh, Matthew West, the God who stays is number three. All right. So holy water, just so you know, that's Ed cash. Yeah. I'm sure you've probably seen that name at the bottom of a lot of different passion songs. Uh, he worked mm-hmm. very closely with Chris Tomlin mm-hmm. and a bunch of other people back for a very long time, but yeah, he had finally decided to just start recording his own music. And so we, the kingdom is Ed cash and basically his whole family. Uh, Oh, okay. All right. Um, I have more real time follow up. Uh, Lauren Daigle has not been number one for 86 weeks, but only on the chart for 86 weeks. And she's been 76 weeks. Okay. That makes more sense. Number one. Yes. Yep. 70. Yeah. So, I guess that this uh, this article is probably three weeks old then. Yes, probably. I would guess so. Anyway, so <laughs> but we're still talking about it. Yeah, and so your your whole uh, your whole real time follow up thing it's a bit reckless, don't you think? Yeah, it is a little bit reckless. But hey, at least all... you love it, right? <laughs> Number two, "Reckless Love" by Corey Asbury, and. AKA Bethel music, AKA Bethel music. Yeah. Corey Asbury is one of Bethel, Bethel music, Bethel worship artists. I think they started like actually like releasing songs by the name of the person who actually sings it instead of Bethel. I don't know when that happened, but I know that at least, uh, as far as I remember, no longer slaves was kind of considered Mm. to be quote unquote Bethel. But then, uh, the same people that wrote that, like all of their newer songs are by like their actual person name. It's like John and Melissa Helsner, something like that. But, um, yeah. So Corey Asbury, member of the Bethel worship team, um, not a member of Bethel church proper, just he's one of their recording artists, uh, reckless love. So, all right. And just warning you, next time that we record, we're going to talk about that song in detail. Okay. Along with, that sounds good. Along with Oceans, Where Feet May Fail, which is in number three. 
my feet fail me regularly. Regularly. Uh, and then my watch tells me to stand up. So yeah. um, is that what this song is about? No, it is about a lot of other things. Uh, Oceans, oh. where, where Feet May okay. Fail by Hillsong United. It comes in uh-huh. number three. I guess technically Hillsong United and Hillsong Worship are separate entities. And so there are five different artists on this I lumped them all together. But anyway, uh, so that's that's an Easter egg that we'll get into later. So (laughs) in number four, number fourth most streamed song was Oh Come to the Altar live. By elevation yeah, not version. the recorded version, not 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 the studio version. I don't it's, know that there is a studio. Not version. the radio edit. Um, speaking of which, I'm just looking at this and I'm noticing that four out of the top ten all have a secondary title in parentheses after them. Is that like a Christian thing? I think we so. should be. Well, live. Like, maybe we should call ourselves Bomb and Gilead. Live you know, doesn't count for the flogging. Maybe that's what we could Maybe. Uh, put in our parentheses. Sure. I don't think live yeah. counts. I think that's just to distinguish it from studio. But mm. it, it I is, don't know. It is definitely in the in the. I guess kind of popular in the Christian realm to to do the secondary. All I'm saying thing. is there's a preponderance of of parentheses, and that if we want to be one of the number one Christian podcasts. We Not should, only do we need we you a print, to a smash that like button, yeah, uh, and we also leave need us to add reviews. A second, second. Yes, title. absolutely. We'll we'll workshop that. If you have any, it's all right. Please let us know. Technically, techreformation. Technically, all of our episodes have two titles. We just only post one of them. <laughs> what? Yeah, oh, this is wild. Yeah, we're we're blowing we're blowing, blowing minds yeah, right blowing, now. Blowing minds uh, in a hundred billion directions, I would say. I'd say hundred billion something. Hundred billion is that like, you know how like the whole like progressive way to refer to Hispanics is to refer to them as Latinx is right instead of so you Latina don't have to say or Latino, Latino or Latina. And so correct. is that what this is? Hundred billionix. Ah. Uh, I can't say as I know. I thought it was because so I'm in the user experience designer. Gotcha. Uh, that's, that's my title. And we call ourselves UX. And I didn't know if it was something like that. Like maybe it's a hundred billion experience, like maybe experience points or something. Maybe, but that's EXP usually. No, it's a, uh, every time that they sing the chorus, they sing about 100 billion something. So, like, in the first chorus, it's 100 billion galaxies, and then it's 100 billion creatures, and then it's 100 billion failures. Because that's what the cross came to to fix, is, was all of the 100 billion of failures of everyone. So Also so, in a parenthetical. Also in a parenthetical. So Will I by Hillsong United. Is number, oh yeah, I guess we should five. have actually said the actual name of the song. Yes, yes. So yeah. will I. One hundred billion <laughs> X. Keeping this on target. By Hillsong United comes in number five. In number six, we have "Rescue" by Lauren Daigle, which I will be completely honest. "Rescue" by Lauren Daigle is my least favorite of all of her songs. Um, really, really. The main reason is it's from the voice of God from a female. Oh. 
All right. So I guess, you know, maybe I should do a little bit more research on these things. Yeah. I will send I out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true. I will rescue you. It's about God rescuing his people. Um, I just, I feel very, very just weirded out by, by a female, especially channeling the voice of God, especially since it's not directly direct scripture quotation. It's her own words about how she feels God is speaking uh, in regards to, you know, like the, the father who or the, the shepherd seeking for the lost sheep. It's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like completely unscripturally based, but I don't know something about a female voice of God just seems wrong to me. Call me what you will, but that's an area where I feel very uncomfortable yeah, I guess I never really thought about that before. Um, not that I listened to this song a whole lot, but um, never really thought about it. Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to think about that. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Interesting. Um, so the next song, song number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, because I didn't number these. Yes. Number seven is who you say i am live which is not in parentheses but after a dash so it's different right by... right to distinguish it from elevation worship yes um live so, it's like a different type of live it's a different type of live it's a dash live instead of a parenthetical live uh by right. hillsong worship which technically is a different band than hillsong united and also technically i think i've I enjoy Hillsong worship more than I enjoy Hillsong United. Like Hillsong United is where Mm. they like push envelopes and really stretch things and try to teach, um, uh, theistic evolution. There we go. Um, by the way, so will I teaches theistic evolution. Um, yes. Did we talk about that already? I uh, mean, you and I have talked about, we probably probably have, but it's in, it's in there. Let us know. We'll give you an earful. Yeah, it's in there. But Hillsong worship tends to be a little bit more closer to like following scripture. And who you say I am, uh, I think is one of those those examples. Quotes a lot of scripture in the correct context, weaving them together to tell a to um, construct like an argument for worship that is scriptural. So I, I'm a pretty big fan of who you say I am. If I had to say what my favorite Hillsong song is it'd be that one yeah okay yeah um i thought there was another one that people have uh remarked like whenever online somebody says oh hillsong are a bunch of you know like you know just crazy whacked out people somebody always says like well what about you know this song but i've never seen heard him say that about this you, you know who you say i am it's yeah. always one of their other ones um, about yeah. um, more about God. But um, there's anyway. there's another one that's pretty new that'll probably be on the on the 2020 playlist, like the 2020 mm-hmm. top ten. That mm-hmm. is that is also really it, it goes 
much deeper below the surface than Hillsong typically does, but mm-hmm. they don't mention sin ever. And I don't know, I think who you say I am does. I have to look into it again. Uh, it does. It says, it says basically I'm no longer a slave to sin. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is great. Which is I'm great. not a slave to darkness or whatever else, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, their song number eight is Lauren Daigle. Look up child. Um, look up heads up. Yeah. And that one, that one, you know, uses the voice of God a little bit, but it is not as blatant. Like it's, it is Lauren Daigle singing saying, I hear you say, look up child. So it's always from her perspective, but then she's she is still quoting God a little bit. But that one's not as bad as Rescue, I don't think. Um, all right, so number nine, number uh, nine, is uh, "Do It Again" just, by Elevation Worship. I was going to say some pun, but I just want I just said, oh man, it okay, it's all right. I know I messed it up. We could just do it again. <laughs> Thank you for that. I know you're okay. Just for you folks at home who can't see us, I waited until I waited until he was like mid swig, and then I said. That. <laughs> so, anyway, do it again. Elevation worship, which I'm actually a big fan of that song as well. Um, it's probably my favorite elevation worship song. Um, it starts off with like a biblical image of walking around Jericho, and it's you know, imagining like day five or day six. Um, and it's like, man, I, I would have really thought that you would have like accomplished this work by now, but here we are just doing it again. And I still don't see the fruit of my faith, but at the end, he's basically saying, you know, your promise still stands great as your faithfulness, your faithfulness. Um, yeah. And I've I've seen you move. You've moved the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. And it's 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 a really powerful song on um, the faithfulness of God, the promises of God, um, the believing that God will do what He says He will do, and uh, and that's that's really good. It does get really chanty, which is very uh, stereotypical of elevation worship, which I'm not a huge fan of. But you don't have to perform it as chanty as they do, and that's true. That is true. Song number ten. I'll be honest. Just looking at the title, I don't know this song. I don't know that I've ever heard it. But it is called "Whole Heart, Hold Me Now" by Hillsong. In parentheses. In parentheses. Dash life. Dash life. Yes. Hold me now. uh, In parentheses. Hold me now. Dash life. So. Yeah, you can completely ignore us with the whole dash live thing because that's just whatever format whoever decided to do this did, and I don't even know if there's like a version of the song that isn't live on any of these. But whatever, there needs to be some sort of like standard on how you determine if it's live or not. We will, we will find out for you, dear listener. Yes, um, and maybe, after we find if we out, feel we'll, like it. If we feel like reporting our findings, we will possibly report. Them. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, maybe maybe we'll just wait for people to ask us for that. Instead. All right. We'll so, see how that goes. Um, one, well, that was fun. Yeah, well, let's, let's, let's chat just a little bit more about this. Ten songs. This is the top ten. I'm, I am very curious to find at what point, continuing 11, 12, 13, do we get another artist? Because mm, this is, mm-hmm. it's technically five artists, but Hillsong United and Hillsong Worship are, I mean, they work very closely together. They are from the same church organization. Uh, most people don't know that they're different bands and they probably live sing each other stuff pretty often. So yes, it's a different band, but barely. Um, I mean, it's a different band in that, um, uh, in that Jonathan Melissa Helsner is a different band than Corey Asbury, but they're both Bethel worship. Um, and so you could probably, you could lump them together pretty easily. That said, 10 songs, four unique artists slash ministries. Um, Lauren Daigle is very unique in that she actually writes CCM music, not intended for church. And three of her songs made it on there. All all of the other seven are church songs. These are type one songs written with the intention of being sung in church. Uh, Corey Asbury writes worship music to be sung in Bethel Church. Uh, Elevation Worship is Stephen Furtick's praise band that writes for Elevation Church. Hillsong United, I believe, is the L.A.-based one, whereas Hillsong Worship might be the New York-based one. Not 100% sure because Hillsong is a oh, multi site world church. And, um, but anyway, they're meant to be sung in the Hillsong Church network. Um, Lauren Daigle, if I understand correctly, and, uh, I would need to do research, and I've had a long time to do this research and just never got around to it. Lauren Daigle, I've, have heard through um, just anecdotal evidence that she goes to Andy Stanley's church. And I know that Andy Stanley, either his current or a past music minister was Christian Stanfill, who is kind of like the head of passion now that I guess Tomlin was Christian Stanfill is now. And so there's a close tie possibly between Christian Stanfill and Lauren Daigle, but I don't believe that Lauren Daigle does much with passion. If anything, maybe a guest every once in a while, but a lot of people do that. Um, including Bethel people and Hillsong people and elevation people. But, um, yeah. So it's just, it's interesting that these four artists are, uh, heavily associated at least with the churches that are heavily associated with the four, you know, major entities writing music for the church. Um, I think that that's just more further evidence that that's what people want out of their church music is they want to just defer to these large entities that have been doing it for a long time and that have the financial ability to create a half decent song, uh, recording and all. Yeah, so, they want uh they want their TED talk and a and a concert kind of a thing. Uh yeah. and 
these are the people who are doing it best, yeah. I guess. Yeah, these are the these are the industry standard. And uh yeah, so that's honestly when I finally delve into the last decade data, I imagine that it's going to look a lot like this. There's going to be Well, here's some additional live time feedback uh searching across the interwebs for kind of like the list that the top 10 was stolen from i don't find spotify publishing a something like yeah these are the top 10 there are plenty of playlists and whatnot of uh that spotify puts together or whatever but those do not appear to be in any particular order okay so um that's yeah that's kind of what i know but um i did find out that local favorites life.church they have a praise band and apparently they have made spotify's official top christian playlist okay um there are more examples is i guess what i'm getting at of exactly what you're talking about there there's also um good bands like skillet you know oh yeah right great right Great. Well, actually, I mean, we we, we went into a, a really in-depth view of John Cooper's thoughts on this. Oh, yeah. And we no, both I love agreed, really, mm-hmm. hands down with what he had to say. Um, I'm not a huge fan of their music, but then again, like, when I, when I think of them, I think of them as, like, 20-year-olds trying to figure <laughs> out how to play their guitars uh, at yeah. local, local venues. But, um who hasn't been there? Who hasn't been there? Uh, <laughs> and I, I believe that you sent me a while back, like a list of CCLI's like top ten songs at the time, and they were almost entirely Hillsong and Chris Tomlin. So that was that would be what churches are actually singing and reporting singing, and it was entirely like their top ten list was just Hillsong and Tomlin. Um, yeah. And that would be a better indicator of what's actually being played in church. Isn't yeah. that right? Like you did yes. some research on this and yeah. I, I did like, I did some research a couple of years back and, um, and just trying to figure out like what, uh, what were like hits on billboard that were also like major songs done like on C- in CCLI. And yeah, it was, uh, it was very much mostly Hillsong and Tomlin um, Elevation actually hasn't had as many hits. Like they get a lot more done in church. They they've had a lot. Like I don't know they've had any number one hits at all. Whereas Tomlin and um, Hillsong and Bethel have. Um, but I think the number one song from last year on CCLI I think might have been. Um, forget the exact title uh i think it's build build my house or something um build my life build my life yeah okay because that is it um on song select uh here on ccla it does appear that it is still number one yeah uh followed by who you say i am Mm -hmm. living hope what a Mm -hmm. beautiful name this is amazing grace great are you lord reckless love so we got some about that next week yeah we got some phil wickham thrown in there Phil Wickham, yeah. Phil Wickham's one of those guys. Uh, I think Greg Laurie is his pastor, uh, and that's mm-hmm. one of those. Mm-hmm. Like if you listen to, if you listen to like Air One, they do a lot of like 
like 65 seconds of faith or something like that. And it's, Oh, okay. And it's always like some sound bite from some sermon from some famous pastor. Greg Laurie is all, is one of those. Uh, Andy Stanley is one of those. Stephen Furtick is one of those. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Greg Laurie has done like the code orange revival multiple times. Like he's that one of those guys. So very closely associated with passion, very closely associated with elevation. Um, so that's Phil Wickham. And I believe Living Hope was also co-written by Brian Johnson uh, from mm-hmm. Bethel. But oh, yeah. But it's a, it's a decent song. Like, Living Hope is a, is a pretty decent song uh, for who it's put out by. Um, yeah, uh, Build My Life is Pat Bennett, who wrote Good Good Father. Um, oh, okay. Closely associated with Very popular with Tomlin, on Father's Day. Very popular on Father's Day. Um, yeah, so closely associated with Tomlin. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, so that's kind of what that list, those are the ones that jumped out at me as you're saying, you said it pretty yeah, quickly. Uh, yeah, sorry. I, I, I did, um, build my life. Uh, then who you say I am, Hillsong, uh, living hope, Phil Wickham. What a beautiful name. Uh, Hillsong. Yeah. This is Amazing Grace. Phil Wickham. Yeah. Uh, Great Are You, Lord. Which one is that one? Uh, David Leonard, Jason Lord. Ingram. Yeah, I think so. Leslie mm-hmm. Jordan? I'm not sure. Uh, and then Reckless Love. Oh, that Love. was uh, One Sonic Society. Yeah. Reckless oh, Love. Oh, okay. Corey Asbury. Yeah. Yeah. Corey Asbury. And then uh, Glorious Day. Um, and that's the Christian Stanfield one? Jason Ingram, J- Jonathan's. Yeah, Christian Stanfield, Jonathan yeah. Smith. Um, that's, I, I'm pretty sure we sang this one in church today. Like I could almost guarantee it. Um, playing in my head, uh, 10,000 reasons, bless the Lord, which is uh, also, uh, parenthetical. Um, and it's also less than a hundred billion. So it has, it has a number and it has, I wonder if we could discern like what a hit title would be for a song by analyzing yeah. through machine learning uh, what to what to name a hit song. Anyway, yeah. and then The Lion and the Lamb appears to wrap which up. Is, which is, uh, that one is uh, through Bethel. Benton Brown, Brian Johnson, yeah. Yeah, that one, it's Leland. Uh, Leland but, yeah. Uh, but Leland is with Bethel. Leland, like, I used to really like Leland back in the day. I haven't sat down and analyzed his lyrics, but I had this. Their very uh, first song. The Sound of Melodies, or. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember what it was anymore, but um, it's like the only Leland song I have on my. Yeah. Um, like my music, my actual owned music collection. Yeah. Um, I had their and first And I loved album. that song. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Anyway. So. Any Houdini. Yeah, as as we've said, this is kind of what we've anticipated. Um, these these particular bands, they are striving for uh, they're striving for fame. Like they, they really are. They're striving to be heard. They're putting out a lot of music. They're trying to hit every avenue. They are um, they're seeking to be sung in church. They're also seeking to be played on the radio, and that's changing the industry. They're, and it's changing. Really, I mean, think about like in the '90s, songs written in the '90s would never make it onto the radio now. Um, you are oh, you are the no devil way. and you are bad. That would never make it onto the radio. <laughs> um, also, not a top one song. 
Yeah. Or type one song. Yeah, also, sorry, not top a t- one song. Uh, also not a type also one not song. Also not a top one song. Also not a top one song. You were right. But it was on uh, WoW 99. So, you want to g- just jump straight into the main topic? Just uh, Completely without a seatbelt. Without we a seatbelt. jumping in. Okay. All right. Jumping in. Hard shift. Hard shift. Hard shift to the right. Yes, yeah, yeah. so I've got I actually have something where there I need to be at five, and it is pushing three. Three. So um, we got this. So we got to if we want to talk for a solid hour on this topic, then we need to start. Hey, it's fascinating, though. It is. Anyway, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus. Main Jesus. topic. Main topic. Um, sounds like a Sunday school answer. Kind of is. Um, a lot of people will probably say that they believe um, that the cross was is enough to save us. You know, I've you've heard it in songs. You've heard people say it. You know, the cross alone is, can save us. Uh, what would what would you say to that to that sentiment? That the cross alone can save us. Um, I mean. Uh, I'm kind of filling in a lot of gaps there because if, if I was to tell somebody on the street, well, what's a piece of wood, a, a, a crucifixion, right. you know, the cross in the context the old of crucifixion? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus right. dying on the cross is enough to save us. That, that That's, I guess, part of it. Like, um, yeah, Jesus, you know, bore the punishment for our sins on the cross. Uh, he, uh, but he wouldn't have been that sacrifice. And it, sa- it talks about this in Hebrews, and mm-hmm. I think we're going to get to it. But just um, he- Jesus dying on a cross doesn't mean that he can save us because he had to be perfect. Otherwise, he would only be atoning for his own sins and not right. for those of us. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get that to that, um, that, yeah. that part in Hebrews. But he had to be... Yeah, somebody who kept the law perfectly uh, was completely sinless in order to, um, in, in order for the cross to have its full effect. That's exactly right. And I mean, I've gotten into conversations with people before where they say that I'm splitting hairs when I say, you know, you can't just say the cross is enough because the cross wasn't enough. The cross was only sufficient because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And the cross is, uh, and Jesus' work on the cross, his completed work, is something that we call passive obedience. That was his passive obedience. That was when he allowed himself to be taken and to be beaten and to be mocked and to be ridiculed and to eventually be slain. He didn't stop anyone from doing it. He was passive. He did not nail himself to the cross. He did not, um, he did not proactively do anything willingly he uh, did willingly go he could have stopped he could have been active in disobedience uh, at the moment of the cross but instead he was passively obedient and that is what the the cross is was his passive obedience but um, he was on the cross for three hours he was alive before then for at least 33 years and um, during that time, he uh, he did a lot of fulfillment. Uh, he he fulfilled the law and the covenants. 
That was the main thing right. that he did during his act of obedience, his willful, right. willingly choosing not to sin, willingly living his life uh, in obedience to God's commands and doing so, uh, doing so in a way that al- that gave that allowed him to be the perfect, sinless, blemishless sacrifice so they did not have to atone for his own sins so that he could die um, and so that the cross could be enough to save us. And, uh, and then it was evidenced by his resurrection. When, when God, the father resurrected Jesus from the grave, that was his accepting of the sacrifice and, and allowing us as the church to be able to witness and say the cross was enough. Um, so I'd say yes and no, the cross was enough only because of who Jesus was. But I want we want to talk about the roles that Jesus uh, that that Jesus held while he was on Earth and how those roles helped him to fulfill the law and the covenants. We've talked about some of these before um, the the roles of prophet, priest, and king. Those mm-hmm. were three roles that Jesus alone was able to hold. Uh, he held them all at once. Um, he's the only person. Uh, in history to hold all three at once though Samuel was a very interesting front runner in the old Testament in that he was a prophet and he was a priest and he was a judge. He was not the King. He anointed the King. He, he, Mm -hmm. he operated under the King, but he was a judge even before then. And, um, and so that, that was a very interesting front runner. And it's also interesting in that the old Testament refers to Samuel as growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. And so when the new Testament refers to Jesus in the same way, I believe that that was an intentional nod to look to Samuel. Um, so we'll talk some about Samuel, um, as we move along, but we're the main topic is Jesus. Um, so I want to talk about Jesus' prophet. I've nice. Got, uh, I've got a lot of scripture to, okay. to go through. It's going to be a lot like last episode where we're just going to basically just read large chunks of scripture and then talk about it. Um, the first two passages I want to talk about is John 1, 1 through 5, and then Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Um, in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, One of the chief uh, purposes of the prophet was to speak the word of God. And so Jesus not only spoke the word of God, he was the word of God. And not only was he the word of God, he was God. And so this is also a very unique role when we think of Jesus as prophet in that what Jesus did, uh, what Jesus just, just by being Jesus was Mm -hmm. living out the prophetic word of God because he was the word of God. Yeah. Not just speaking for God, but actually speaking as God. Right. And, um, and so that in that, he is not just a prophet, but he is the prophet of prophets. He was mm-hmm. both the prophet and the prophecy. 
And so uh, he was the greatest prophet. He was the better prophet of all prophets. And that is kind of the idea of Jesus was the better prophet uh, is something that you especially see in Hebrews, that Jesus was the better Moses. Jesus was the better Abraham. Jesus Mm -hmm. was the better, you name it. He was the better everything. Um, Right. And so everything pointed to him, to Jesus as a fulfillment. Right. And so when we talk about Jesus as prophet, we have to talk about him as the word of God, um, because that is what every prophecy pointed to. Um, And so Hebrews one, one through four in, in a very similar line, it says long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so that passage talks about prophet. It also talks about priest and it also talks about king. So Mm -hmm. as we talk about Jesus, as all of these things, that Hebrews passage is one of the utmost passages to help understand all of this. So God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but now he has spoken to us through his son, Um, which means that everything that Jesus had to say um, was the ultimate. And so we no longer need any more. We don't, we don't need any more prophets to follow Jesus because what Jesus said was sufficient. And so after that, we have witnesses. Um, we have people who witness Jesus. We have people who witness those who witness Jesus. And now we have those like us who have read the words of those who witnessed, uh, the, the witnesses of Jesus. And, um, but we also have the Holy spirit in us to help us to discern those words. It's, mm-hmm. and it can be a little complicated, but Jesus as prophet, um, you know, he, through his prophesying, he spoke what God wanted him to speak. And that was part of his act of obedience. And Jesus spoke in two very distinct ways. So when Jesus spoke, he spoke sometimes very clearly, very plainly uh, in large sermons. Sometimes he spoke very mysteriously um, through parables. And I've, uh, Matthew is one of the, Matthew is the book of the Bible you want to read if you want to understand Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy. Because that was mm-hmm. one of Matthew's major um, points was Jesus was the, he, Jesus fulfilled all prophecy. He says, mm-hmm. I think in the, even in just the first like three chapters, he says it like seven or eight times. This was to fulfill the prophet. This was to fulfill the prophet. Um, yes. And so in Matthew five, uh, which is the beginning of the sermon of the Mount, um, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, 
will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I think that last verse was kind of a nod to if your inward righteousness ever exceeds the outward righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Because uh, they were very righteous on the outside. Um, sure. But I think he was also doing it to kind of let them know that even their righteousness wasn't enough. They had to exceed their own righteousness to enter the kingdom of heaven. Right. Yeah. Just the Pharisees and uh, Sadducees, it, you know, these are the people who the Jewish people looked up to as these paragons of the Jewish faith, right? They were right. the ones who were doing everything completely right. And um, so the shock on their faces when God, when Jesus told them, hey, you actually have to have a righteousness that exceeds that is, yeah. you know, I, I'm sure they were blown away. Yeah. Because how could, how how is that even possible, first of all, you know, because they can't even imagine uh, something greater and yet standing in front of him was something greater. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's exactly what it was. It was something greater than them was already in their midst. Um, and so there's a lot of really good, um, really good information in the sermon on the Mount. It's, it's Matthew five through eight. Um, lots of really uh, interesting analogies, but there were analogies that were intended to hit home intended to be like, Oh, I get what you're saying. That's really interesting. I've never looked at life in that way. You know, this is really, you know, this is a really cool thing that you're saying, you know, be the, be a light on the Hill, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, a city on a Hill can't be hidden. Um, you know, be the salt of the earth. You know, if your salt loses its saltiness, you can't even like, what good is it even to just like throw out the window and trample on it? That's all you can do. And, um, you know, if you follow these words of mine, it's like a wise man to build his house on a rock. But if you don't follow these words, it's like a, a foolish man to build his house on the sand. And when the storm comes, it's just going to blow it away. Um, you know, Jesus spoke things like that. And when, you know, we get the, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and also the feeding of the 4,000, they were most mm-hmm. likely at events like this where he's speaking plainly to them and people just can't get enough. Um, but then in passages like Matthew 13 and Matthew 18, um, we get very different types of, of teaching. Um, Matthew 13 is most notably known for the, uh, like the four soils is in that one. And then Matthew sure. 18 is, I believe that's like the, the, the shepherd with the lost sheep, the lost coin, um, and the prodigal son, I believe, is in that one. We also get. I think that's in Luke. It's in Luke. It may. Is it. Some of them those are. Those three in Matthew as well? It might be Luke, but I think some of those might be in that one. But there's also. Um, that one might be the kingdom of heaven, the. Like the, the treasure found in the hill. In the. Like the, the treasure in the field and the pearl of great price. That might be what I'm thinking of. Yeah. But, this. Is, well, uh, sorry. The parable of the lost sheep is. In Matthew 18. Okay. Um, and the parable of the unforgiving servant. Um, and uh, if your brother sins against you, uh, 
you know, more temptations to sin. Uh, also, it starts out with a discussion about who is the greatest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I remember that those were my two, my go-to Matthew parable chapters, but I, I didn't look to see what was actually in them. So there we go. Um, I did pull out a passage from Matthew 13 that says, um, kind of Jesus talking about parables in general. He says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and and, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this, people's people's heart uh, has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed." lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Um, You know, Jesus in his parables, Jesus spoke in riddles, but he spoke in ways to where those who were with him most could understand them. Um, And if they didn't understand them, they would say, Jesus, what are you talking about? And then Jesus would explain it to them. Um, There's one parable in particular. uh, We've talked about it before, but it's the, the one where with the tenants in the vineyard and they killed all the messengers and then they, or they beat or killed the messengers and then they killed the son. And they were hoping that the inheritance would fall to them and but the owner came and kicked them out and put new uh, tenants in and then it says and the pharisees perceiving that he was talking about them walked away uh because yep. they were because they were scared um I, I, just, I love that little nod because jesus opened their ears to understand that one and uh because only if jesus opens their ears can they ever know what he's saying so Jesus spoke plainly. He also spoke in riddles and he spoke so that those who were closest to him could understand what he had to say. Um, he spoke about the kingdom of heaven. He spoke about what the kingdom was like. And this was the message of God. This was the prophecy. This was everything that he had, um, everything that all previous prophecies pointed to was the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God uh, will exist, what it will look like, and um, essentially, you know, what, uh, how the kingdom of God was supposed to operate. And that kingdom was very different than what most people were expecting. Most people were expecting Jesus to come in and overthrow the Roman government and mm-hmm. to set up a new, like, actual physical, temporal kingdom right then and there. And they were really excited to see how some poor carpenter's son was going to overthrow the world's largest empire. And they were really, really anticipating something really cool looking. But Jesus spoke in parables. 
instead. And uh, as a result, people were starting to think, I don't think he can do it. I mean, this kingdom that he's talking about isn't what I'm expecting. This kingdom he's talking about is one where, you know, people wash the feet of, like, where masters wash the feet of people, where, um, you know, this is a kingdom where people, you know, give to others. This is a kingdom where people are hospitable and where people sacrifice things where they give everything away just to purchase this pearl that is of greatest price, you know, where people give up these comforts and luxuries in order to, you know, honor God. And they were not as happy with that. And ultimately they said, I don't think Jesus is going to be, the leader that we want. I don't agree with his prophecy. I don't, I don't think he is going to be the king that we want. And ultimately that's what killed him. So our next kind of section here is Jesus as King. And one of the things that you said about the people's kind of expectations, um, I think that's reflected a lot in like a Psalms two King, right? And in yes. Psalms two, we see the nation or God's laughing at the nations, which uh, Leslie Ampere always uh, talks about loving that particular verse. And I, I can totally see why. Yeah. Uh, but you know, and you actually have uh, on here, Psalms two, six through seven is one of the verses that talks about Jesus as King. So what kind of King was Jesus? And it, I guess I'll uh, just go ahead and read it. And it just says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And that's Psalm 2, 6 or 7. Yeah, and, uh, and I had that in there because it's clearly talking about Jesus. It is clearly talking um, where you know the, we, have, we have God the Father mentioning God, the son Mm -hmm. in the old Testament, there's not very many instances of that. Um, but that word begotten is one that I think is really important in its, and it's confusing. Um, John three 16 is really one of the only other passages that use it, you know, Mm -hmm. um, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And, um, and it's important because um, Jesus was not created. He was begotten. Right. Uh, that right. doesn't mean that he didn't previously exist. Um, and I don't fully wrap my head around what it means, but I believe it's most likely around the origin of Jesus, who is eternal, was given an earthly body. And at that particular time something special happened. Um, he, one of the very specific things that happened when Jesus was given a human body was he became destined for the throne. He became worthy of the throne and able to take the throne. Um, and so that was something that had never happened before. Yeah, we, we see in the Nicene Creed, for instance, I mean, it talks a lot about begotten, right? Uh, in the second kind of stanza, mm-hmm. well, 
second paragraph, it says, uh, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Right. Yeah, and so that's where this is important, but also something that is important in that line, before that they have begotten you, we have God saying, you are my son. And Mm. there are some other Mm. passages in the New Testament. Um, And I've I've highlighted two in particular. One is in Matthew 3 and one is in Matthew 17, um, where God says, this is my beloved son. And um, I think that they both say, with whom I am well pleased. Yeah, and... And this is important. These are two separate events where God from heaven looks down onto the earth and says this, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The first is in Matthew three and it says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. Later in Matthew 17, chapter 17, it says, um, he was still speaking, and this was, uh, Peter was still speaking about Jesus and about uh, Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. So he wakes up, he mm-hmm. sees the, the three of them standing in glory. He says, we need to build three tabernacles for all three of you to live in. And it says, while he was yeah. still... in he was still speaking when behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And disciples heard this. They fell on their faces and were terrified. Um, it's Matthew 17, five and six. So it's not the full story, but that's the, that's the part that is important to this because God, the father is speaking about God, the son much in the same way that God the Father was speaking to God the Son in Psalm 2, which makes us, which makes us think these are both um, these are both kingly events. These are not just little happenstances. Uh, Matthew right. was very meticulous about fulfillment of prophecy when he was writing. So when Matthew yes. wrote these, he is saying, this is to fulfill Psalm two. That is specifically what he is saying, um, which is a kingly psalm about the Father setting Jesus on the kingly hill. So the baptism and the transfiguration were both in preparation for the throne. Um, so those are those are events that are very important in that, and um, it's also. Uh, I'd say very important uh, in Matthew 28. So at the end of the, the Matthew narrative, yes. um, this is right before the great commission. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is how he began the great commission. So this authority is not just his earthly kingdom. It's not just the fact that he is descendant of David, that he has every right to take the throne, that he is worthy of the throne and that he will take the earthly throne one day. But this is also authority from heaven, 
This was because of his sinless life, because of his death, uh, God the Father resurrected him and now has given him that authority in heaven. And that authority is also uh, depicted in Philippians 2, where it says, uh, starting in verse 4, uh, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is his coronation. This is Christ being uh, being given the throne. This is he no longer is a servant, but because of his act of obedience, because of how he uh, fulfilled the law and the prophets and the covenants. He is now the king. He has been given the throne. He has the name that is above every name. And every knee and every tongue uh, will bow and confess that he is Lord, that he is king. And all of this will bring glory to the Father. Um, and so that is ultimately, you know, we have Jesus was the... Uh, Jesus was the prophet where he spoke of the coming kingdom. But we also have that Jesus was the king and, uh, and he will preside over the coming kingdom. And these are both, uh, these are both very important uh, thoughts. These are both very important uh, to the, this topic and to his act of obedience. Uh, ultimately, though, I think it's his role as priest that um, that shows us how he gets there, how he gets from point A to point B. It's his role as priest, not only his role as priest, but his role as sacrifice um, that that help us to understand how he becomes worthy of the throne. In priest, we were talking about Samuel earlier, yeah, and. Uh, you 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 put on here First Samuel thirteen eight through fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go ahead and read that now. We can chat about it. But uh, he waited seven days, the mm-hmm. time appointed by Samuel. That is uh, Saul uh, waited, King Saul. Um, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, "Bring the burnt offering here to me, and the peace offerings." And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. 
But now the, your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Yeah, and that is a that's a really, really powerful story. Ultimately, Saul lost the throne because of this. And uh, I think even in Psalm 51, when... Uh, when David is repenting of his sin with Bathsheba, he even mentions, I would offer mm-hmm. sacrifices, but you, that's not what you want. You want obedience. Yeah. You know, yeah. What, what you want is a broken and a contrite heart. And after that, then I can offer the sacrifices. And I think he's even referencing this in that particular passage. Like, um, not that he would allow the priest to offer the sacrifice, but it's, it, he's saying you don't, sacrifices aren't what you want. It's not, that's not how it is. You want obedience. Mm-hmm. And Saul disobeyed God. He as King and a Benjaminite, um, took on the role as priest and Levite to, um, to do this particular sacrifice. And that was an abomination. Uh, it was, right. um, I mean, it was, that was a fierce, uh, transgression against the Lord that he did. And he did it because he didn't want to lose face. He saw that the people were scattering and he thought, Oh, I need to do something now or, or everyone's going to be gone. But in reality, right. everyone that left while waiting, they were going to get their own punishment. You know, they were going to get their own curse upon them uh, because they didn't have the patience. It wasn't Saul's position to, to make sure that everyone got the blessing. It was his, uh, it was his job as king to obey and to be the, and ultimately to, uh, to rule, to be the hand of God. Um, and he didn't, he, he couldn't do that. So that's, um, that's why, uh, he ultimately lost the kingdom and it went to David and it had, and it stayed with David. Um, it stayed right. physically in that time with David until the throne was removed. Um, but Jesus, as the son of David, sits on the throne forever. Um, but that brings us to a really interesting, a really interesting question, and that is, how can Jesus be the priest? Because Jesus is not a Levite. He is of the tribe of Judah. Um, Judah is the, the tribe of, of David. And so... Mm-hmm. A lot um, of the kings. Yeah, and so that's where the kings are from. So Jesus cannot be both from the tribe of Judah and from the tribe of Levi. So we get a really funky word thrown in there, and that's called Melchizedek. A chew. Uh, a chew. Gesundheit, Melchizedek. Melchizedek, depending on which kind of uh, lore you believe, may or may not have been Shem, the son of Noah. Um, oh, I'd not heard that before. Yeah, if you if you look at on the um, like the genealogies, I guess yeah, the 11, right after yeah. Genesis seven eight when it, somewhere when in it there, talks after about the flood. yeah when it talks about in the days of Shem were however many long. If Nine. you do all of the counting, Shem was mm-hmm. still alive during the time of Abraham. Um, oh, and so some people believe that Shem. Uh, took on the name of Melchizedek. Uh, Shem would have been a God fearer. He would have, he would have been a person who continued to follow the Lord. Um, 
mm-hmm. according to you know just what limited knowledge we know. Um, he was the mm-hmm. son that was blessed by by Noah. If he was still mm-hmm. alive, then he and his immediate family would probably still be following the Lord. Um, so we know that there are more than that. There's more than one God fear. We know that that there were there there's an area of divination where people were praying to Yahweh. Um, mm-hmm. We we get that from Numbers. Uh, we we understand that there were you know that there are still people that you know there had to have been people that in some way, shape or form still followed the Lord. Um, because we right. get the story of Melchizedek who followed right. the Lord. And, and Abraham was not one of those people. And Abraham like, was not well, one of those Abram, people. Yeah. Abram, I suppose. Um, yeah. He was a, a moon worshiping. <laughs> yeah. You know, person who was called out by God. I mean, it's a wonderful. Yeah. Um, and so but, I, I don't particularly no, believe, hmm. I don't particularly believe that Melchizedek was Shem. I think it's an interesting, uh, thought, but the Bible very, very specifically does not give Melchizedek a genealogy, does not give Melchizedek a family, um, does not give him a time of birth, a time of death. The Bible very mm-hmm. specifically leaves that, which, I mean, he's not the only person in the Bible that, that, that we don't get anything but we know that this is important because the writer mm-hmm. of Hebrews, who was probably not Melchizedek, but mm-hmm. we don't know who the writer <laughs> of Hebrews was. I've said that before when people are like, who do you think the writer of Hebrews was? I always say Melchizedek. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not Timothy. That's all I know. Um, <laughs> it was Paul. It, yeah, I don't, maybe. <laughs> A lot of people say. Anyway, that's not the point. It's not the point. Uh, so Melchizedek um, is... Melchizedek is mentioned three times in the Bible, I believe, right? Uh, uh, yes. At the beginning, the middle, and the end. Yes. Melchizedek is mentioned three very specific times, and we're going to talk about all three of them. Um, in Genesis 14, uh, this is uh, Lot, who is Abram's nephew, was kidnapped, uh, as well as a bunch of other people. And there's a bunch of kings that were trying to like go to war and they tried to get Abram to help. And Abram's like, I don't want to. But then once Lot was kidnapped, he's like, well, I've got to go save Lot. So he, he made some allies with some kings that he didn't particularly care about with the sole purpose of rescuing Lot. And after he defeated, after he was able to defeat Lot's captors, uh, the other kings were like, we want to give you stuff. And Abram's like, I'm, I don't want any of your stuff and I'm not going to give you any of my stuff. Instead, I'm going to take a 10th of what I have and I'm going to give it to Melchizedek who enters the scene. Um, it's, it's really kind of random. It's like, I'm not going to give this to you. I'll give it to Melchizedek. And then you pan to this guy that you've never heard of before. I kind of think of it as the time from the, I'm on a boat skit from SNL where, He's like, hey, I just won these two free things to to ride a boat. He's got two friends in front of him. I'll take, uh, I'll take a kiva, and of course I'll take T Pain. And pans to like this fourth person at the table that you haven't seen prior to that exact <laughs> moment. Because and so anyway, it, it it reminds me it reminds me of that. Like, and Melchizedek, I'll give him a tenth of everything. And it says, and Melchizedek, king of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. That means he was the priest of Yahweh, not of anyone else. Um, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high possessor of heaven and earth. 
And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Uh, and so this became a very important event that the, uh, that the seed of Levi then gave a tenth of everything to, uh, to Melchizedek. So that makes Melchizedek a greater priest even than Levi. Um, and yes. so the line of Melchizedek would be a greater priestly line even than Levi. Um, and that is all parsed out in Hebrews. Yeah, you, and not only do want... we see uh, Melchizedek being like a greater priest, we see him as king of Salem. Right. He was priest of God Most High, and then um, he speaks uh, God's word. Blessed be Abraham by God Most High. He's speaking God's word. So he, there, there we see he's a prophet, um, yeah. which is uh, comes up in our next verse, which is Psalm 110, verse 4, which says, The Lord is sw- has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And yeah, Psalm one ten is another one of the the high king um, prophecies, where it is specifically talking about the Messiah. It starts off. It says, "The Lord said to my Lord, um, sit at my right hand." Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesus even Jesus quotes see. that to the Pharisees. Yeah, and I've got that one. I'll I'll I'll, I'll leave that one be for just a second because I'll, I'll get back to it. But um, yeah, Jesus does quote it, and we'll we'll get to that. But. Um, before we do, uh, I also want to point out that he's that Melchizedek is the king of Salem, and Salem means peace. So it's he's the king of peace, which is very similar to another name that we give to Jesus, the Prince yes. of Peace. And so, um, so that's another. Some people believe that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate Christ. I don't. Um, I believe that he was a historical character, um, but they'll they'll use that argument to say that. But it's it, yeah, you're right. He was the king of this area. He was he spoke the words of God, and he also was a priest of God Most High. So that was another reason why people believe that it's a pre-incarnate Christ. But in Hebrews five, it says, uh, "In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death." And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so um, when you take that Psalm 110, you know, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek and being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We get this idea that Jesus is a better priest even than Levi. He is from the line that is better than the line of Levi. Um, Mm -hmm. Going back to in Matthew 22, it says, uh, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David, in the spirit, meaning... uh, that David speaking authoritatively speaking through the inspiration of the Holy spirit calls him Lord saying the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. 
uh, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. And so we get this idea again, that he is the son of God, that he is God, that he is the rightful King, but he is also this priest after the order of Melchizedek and that this priestly nature, um, is also somehow tied into his divinity and his, um, right to the throne. Um, I think that one of the other interesting pieces that says, and being made perfect, Jesus was always perfect. Uh, he was, mm-hmm. he was not a created being. He was not, uh, he never, he never had to be purified from anything, but I think this being made perfect, we're talking about his act of obedience. The fact that he remained perfect, but he, uh, but he was being prepared in order to be the sacrifice. Um, but in order to be this, the, in order to be sacrificed, he also had to offer himself up as the sacrificed through the role of the priest. And we get that particular offering up in John 17 and, um, which is the high priestly prayer, high priestly prayer. Yeah. Um, and then he begins that prayer by saying, says when Jesus had spoken these words, um, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Um, this was, I think one of the only times where Jesus, where we get like Jesus actual words, uh, talking about his eternal nature and, um, basically claiming to be God saying, you know, I have been with you since the world existed. Um, that is, uh, it's, it's, it's important in that, but, um, he is basically saying in this prayer, in this whole prayer, that he is offering his own life as the sacrifice in order to glorify the Father, in order to uh, rescue uh, all of uh, the chosen. Yeah, isn't it interesting how in verse 4, too, it says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And kind mm-hmm. of starting back with our original question, yeah. the cross uh, the cross was enough, right? Mm-hmm. Well, here we have Jesus himself saying, I've accomplished the work that you gave me to do pre-cross. Right. Um, in at least anticipating, look, there was something pretty major um Besides the cross that uh, Jesus was here to do, uh, it wasn't just that. Um, and I think you you put it beautifully. You know, like this is uh, this is Jesus's act of obedience. You know, this mm-hmm. is um, him keeping that law perfectly for us in our place as our priest. Yeah, as our high priest. Yeah. So it's fun when you have time constraints. You can't just like talk on and on and on. <laughs> and so with that in mind, uh, let's just talk about Jesus as sacrifice. He was priest so that he could offer himself as sacrifice, but he uh-huh. was the sacrifice. And I think that 
I mean, I don't think you can find a better passage on Jesus' sacrifice than Isaiah 53. It says, He was yeah. despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men, men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I'm going to jump to Mark 15, his account of the crucifixion. It says, And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide uh, what each should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. So we get, when he's on the cross, he's being mocked for what he said about being the king. He's being mocked about how he proclaimed the kingdom. Um, So he's being mocked, essentially, even the priests and the are, are mocking him. So he's being pre uh, he's being mocked as priest. He's being mocked as king. He's being mocked as prophet. And um, but all of these were to show fully in just a few short days that he was what who he said he was. He was the prophet. He was the priest. He was the king. Um, and so we we get that all authority in heaven and on earth came after this. Um, and so Jesus not only was a sacrifice, but he was the priest who could offer the sacrifice. Um, but I wanted to, to end on one final note. And that's something that doesn't get talked about a whole lot. And when it does, it gets talked about kind of in the wrong context. And I think this is really the only context it should be set in. And there's there's two passages that I want to read. One is in Proverbs 18.24. It says, um, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Mm. And that friend, we uh, we understand strongly from reading uh, John 13 through 17. Um, in John, when it hits, uh, the first 12 chapters of John are kind of this overview. But then in chapter 13, it zooms in and you get the final night of Jesus as he gives his his last really close teaching to his to his closest friends and in chapter 15 it says this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends you are my friends if you do what i command you no longer do i call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing but i have called you friends From all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, uh, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, 
and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. It's this command to love. And he he offers this command not to his servants, but to his friends. We hear, you know, when we hear of Jesus calling us friend, we think of it as Jesus elevating us. We think of this, you know, Jesus brings us to his level. And so we are now on par with Jesus because he has called us friend. But that is the complete opposite of what happened. Jesus called us friend despite that we're sinners, despite that, that we're wicked, despite that we are not on his plane. He came to us. He condescended himself and came to us so that he could call us his friends. And that should, um, that should leave us in a position of ultimate humility so that we can do nothing else but to turn around and love those around us and to follow him and to worship him. And so this is who Jesus is. When we talk about Jesus in our music, we should talk about the Jesus who is the prophet, who is the priest, who is the king, who is the sacrifice, but who is the friend. And we should, uh, that, that should just bring us to a very, very low place, but a low place mm. of beauty in a low place where our worship is is more and more pure and more uh, directed uh, to God in the way that it should be. And ultimately, we know that one day we will be picked up from that place of humility, and we will be uh, we will be given a reward in heaven. But um, yeah, it's it should not put us in a place of boasting. It should not put us in a place where we can um, where we should think of of ourselves as better. Um, it should just give us more love for Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's kind of funny. I remember way back when my wife and I lived in Arizona, we had a fairly long chat about, uh, I'm sure you remember it. There was a uh, worship type one type song, whether that was appropriate or not. But called I'm a Friend of God. You mm-hmm. remember that? I'm a Friend of God. He yeah. calls me friend. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it, at the time anyway, we we derided it pretty heavily. I mean, we we're pretty after it. But yet there is, as you've shown, like there is warrant for, uh, you know, God calling us friend. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's also true that that, gets thrown around quite a bit as yeah. well. Like, Oh yeah, I'm a friend of God. And, um, as if it were, you know, I'm buddy, buddy, you know, Jesus is my homeboy type. Right. Type and that's approach. And, and that's, that's the, that's the rub. Like yeah. Jesus calls me friend, but that doesn't give me mm-hmm. permission to treat him. Like he's my buddy. He right. is still my King. He is right. still, a, he is still, you know, my, my prophet, my priest, my king, um, he is my friend and I should take great delight in that, that he would see me as that, but that doesn't give me permission to just get all loosey goosey and, um, treat him like I treat my other friends. Cause I don't treat my other friends that great all the time, you know? (laughs) And, and, and so it doesn't give me permission to just relax 
and get all informal and whatnot. I mean, we, we don't have to be, you know, I can be relaxed and informal uh, with my prayers and with Jesus, but it doesn't give me permission to just like disrespect him. And, right. and he deserves all respect and we forget that. And so using the friend yep. language is very easy to forget that. Um, and, uh, I think with that, I want to read, I, I wasn't going to read this whole thing. I was just going to do my normal sign off, Uh huh. but I'm reading these, these words. And I think that they're important. It says, I'm so glad I learned to trust him. Precious Jesus, savior, friend. And I know that he is with me, will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him. There is a bomb in the to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb. for listening to the Balming Gilead podcast. We love hearing from you, so email us at theres at balmcast.com. We are a part of the Tech Reformation family of podcasts, and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techreformation.com. We'll see you there. If you enjoyed the Balming Gilead podcast, please encourage others to listen. We value your feedback So rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast.